0: Yes, it is, and welcome back this Thursday, May 26, 2022, as we head into hour three. Stunned as we all were by what took place in Uvalde, Texas this week, I think additionally stunning, at least to me, was not just the tragedy of a child killing other children, but of adults acting like children in the immediate aftermath. I spoke of decency yesterday, and boy, was that in short supply, whether it was Ruben Gallego cussing out Ted Cruz or Beto O'Rourke posturing for a political ad at a press conference conducted by the man in office he is seeking. Or now I have to add the office he is seeking to replace the man who is holding that press conference with. And now Barack Obama in the midst of high tensions, not to mention shock and grief, a time when nobody had a thought that didn't include what took place the day before in Uvalde, Texas. Barack Obama tweeted this, quote, as we grieve the children of Uvalde today, we should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. His killing stays with us all to this day, especially those who loved him, close quote. Jason Whitlock responded perhaps most appropriately, tweeting, quote, bro, this ain't it. Little kids slaughtered at school is not the equivalent of Floyd dying after resisting arrest while high, close quote. Now comes a larger thought, too. What was the point, the reason Barack Obama decided to inject another memory of another tragedy into this one? Honestly, what was the point? Was it to highlight our sorrows of the Uvalde tragedy? No, it was to vitiate, to attenuate it by injecting some other issue of adults mistreating adults who mistreated themselves in society the result of which became a passion play for months and months of unremitting violence and indeed riots and deaths, some 15,000 arrests, some 25 deaths. An increase of black deaths that year while Black Lives Matter became a renewed totem and confession, then ended up defrauding vast portions of the population for the purposes of graft and self-enrichment and a resignation of police leadership throughout the country driving violent crime through the roof. Is invoking all that what was needed yesterday? Now, sometimes it is important to remind people of a missing story delivered by tragedy. I recall when the world media went to Europe to commemorate Princess Diana's passing, it was ignoring the death that same week of Mother Teresa. And the media had to be shamed and reminded of that to cover her no less remarkable life than Diana's, to put it no no higher. That would be an example of decency and reminding people of another tragedy. And note in those decencies, there was no political angle to be found, not really. So, again, the point Obama was trying to inject was what? More need for police reform? More attention to something else? Not the right day or week. Wrong court. Wrong victim. I don't want to make too much of this, but if you want to get at some of what we started this week with, how to heal rifts, divisiveness, and our heated, cold civil war taking place right now, it starts with an old Talmudic saying, where there are no men, be a man. It starts with a seriously neglected understanding of something Edmund Burke once wrote. Burke famously, maybe not so famously anymore, wrote this, quote, manners are more important than laws. Upon them, in a great measure, the laws depend. The laws touch us, but here and there, and now and then. Manners are what vex or soothe, corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize or refine us by a constant, steady, uniform, insensible operation like that of the air we breathe in. They give their whole form and color to our lives. According to their quality, they aid morals, they supply them, or— they can totally destroy them, close quote. I hadn't thought of that quote in a while, at least not in our contemporary politics until yesterday, and yet it and its lessons have been staring us in the face for years. Now, of course, Burke is dated in one aspect of his quote, which tempers a soupçon of his meaning, but not more, where he writes, quote, the law touches us, but here and there and now and then, that was the late 18th century England. And what was fairly true of late 18th century America was true of England as well. Keep in mind, back then, our entire federal government had a Department of State, a Department of Treasury, a Department of War, and an Attorney General. Five, uh, four, four, four basic cabinet officers. That was our federal government outside of Congress and the judiciary. Today, of course, the federal government has 15 cabinet departments, numerous agencies, Code of Federal Regulations, that is longer than the federal U.S. Code of Laws, and over 2 million employees. So yes, of course, even when we don't know it or may not be aware of it, I think the law does touch us all the time, but that doesn't stint the necessity of self-government, which at a minimum must require of us selves worthy of governing. And to have selves worthy of governing, that must, at a minimum, require behavior worthy of citizenship, which is to say, behavior that embodies civility. Now, keep in mind, civility comes from the Latin civilis, which means public life benefiting and befitting a citizen, befitting a human being. So when you think of laws and their interpretations, think on that. Now think back to what Burke said about the import of manners. Can civil society exist? Can democracy or a Republican form of government exist when we don't respect norms or our fellow citizens just because they are our fellow citizens who may have disagreements with us? As Lincoln put it, we Americans are all related as, quote, blood of the blood and flesh of the flesh. Due to sharing that moral sentiment taught as the father of all moral principles that all men are created equal, close quote. Think on that a moment. The entire principle of things like one man, one vote is based on all of us being seen as and seeing each other as equals, having equal say in how our government should be run, having equal votes and making those choices and allowing each other to win and to lose over those various votes and accepting the results of them. So important is this point, we put it in our Declaration of Independence, that is to say our very founding was based on decisions made by reflection and choice, as the Federalist Papers put it, so that as the Declaration of Independence had it, governments of justice are sustained by deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Consent. Without equality, you cannot have consent, and without respect for your fellow man or citizen, there cannot be equality. That requires decency. That requires civility. That requires manners. That is the understanding that goes back as far as the golden rule, isn't it? We can come back to that. But if I can segue into why it is we have become so dismissive, censorious, and censuring of our fellow Americans, why is it one side or another can only see their viewpoint as the only legitimate one and thus any elected official espousing that viewpoint contrary to others is illegitimate? Not wrong not mistaken, illegitimate. How did every Republican become a Hitler or a fascist, for example? How did we lose moral distinctions and begin to start thinking not just negatively or poorly of some of our fellow Americans, but thinking the worst of them? Some of it is selfishness, of course, some form of political narcissism or solipsism. Some of it is bad education, or as that old Boston prep school teacher put it, Quote, the problem with this demographic of young adults is that they do not have the basic narratives of their histories or really any narratives. They're blazed, searching the Internet for any factoids that they believe fit their highly dehistoricized and decontextualized ideologies. And the adult world totally misunderstands them and dismisses them at our collective peril. Close quote. Now, what happens when adults engage in that behavior? Stunted development? Arrested development? Children in adult bodies? Some of it is coddling, some of it is cowardice, and some of it is indeed that neglected virtue of manners which does drive right at the heart of narcissistic and solipsistic tendencies. They drive at other problems too, such as a hardened certainty and rigidity about issues that turn the whole notion of liberty on its head. What, after all, is the point of liberty or freedom if there is no, no liberty or freedom to think about and speak about the most important issues of the day and try out some of those ideas from time to time in addressing them. Wasn't that why our founders were very scrupulous in avoiding tyrannies of the majority? Wasn't that the essence of Judge Learned Hand's great speech where he said the spirit of liberty is the spirit which is not too sure that it is right The spirit of liberty is the spirit which seeks to understand the minds of other men and women. The spirit of liberty is the spirit which weighs their interests alongside its own without bias. The spirit of liberty remembers that not even a sparrow falls to earth unheeded. Spirit of liberty is the spirit of him who, near 2,000 years ago, taught mankind the lesson it has never learned but has never quite forgotten, that there may be a kingdom where the least shall be heard and considered side by side with the greatest— Again, see the ongoing theme here? Respect for fellow man as man. Equality. Freedom from intrusion. All that requires manners. Peggy Noonan was writing about it as if Edith Wharton were alive today, saying, quote, A great nation cannot continue in this frenzied way. Nations run in part on manners. They are the lubricant that allows the great machine to hum. Among the harassments I see you inflicting on each other. Other people have a right not to hear your sound, for example. Last week, I was in a nail spa, as they called it. A woman in her 30s was screeching into her phone, which was on speakerphone mode. After a few minutes, someone informed her she was disturbing others, and she literally says, I'm closing a deal. I don't care. And you wonder why socialism is making a comeback. But seriously, as Ronald Reagan would say, a small story about a big thing when you can void manners, the golden rule, and all of those other social salves of civility, you do so by always invoking a justification or larger end as if civil society itself were not an end. But no, it is not, which gets me to how so many on the left have gone from calling us fascists and white supremacists and Hitlers to traditionally just invocations to violence, each and every one, to actually cheering our death. Not our political losses, our death. Jeff Jacoby reminded us of what happened when one of the Koch brothers, Koch brothers, David Koch, died. When he did, someone said this, quote, yesterday David Koch of the zillionaire Koch brothers died of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer, close quote. Who said that? Bill Maher. I'm glad he's dead and I hope the end was painful. That was from a writer at Esquire magazine. A writer for Slate wrote, quote, I don't believe in an afterlife, but if there is one, I hope his soul suffers for eternity. New York magazine Sarah Jones wrote, quote, David Koch is a monster. Let us have no sanctimony. When Donald Trump got sick with COVID, a spokesperson for Hillary Clinton tweeted, I hope he dies. Shakespeare in the Park hosted a play featuring the assassination of Donald Trump. Johnny Depp called for his murder. Others did as well. It's called bloodlust and homicidal fantasy or homicidal ideation. It's a disorder, and we are mighty disordered right now, so much so that we seem to break at the seams of one tragedy that was about the slaughter of innocents, the massacre of children by a child, with a two-year-old nightmare that led to more ghoulish nightmares needed to be invoked for the purposes of some memory with no end and violence is continually invoked for political purposes. Whoopi Goldberg just off her campaign to prove Adolf Hitler wasn't a white supremacist, but Donald Trump was said she wanted to punch anyone who offered exactly what we needed more of yesterday thought and prayer. It may not be homicidal fantasy, but it is some form of convulsive disinhibition, another kind of psychological disorder. again, Unless you don't understand the crisis industrial complex, you have to ask why. What is the investment in frenzy? What is the investment in ripping open a two-year-old wound that took a lot of lives and money to heal? And that has few policy or public policy prescriptions in any event. Just the larger point, the Burkean point bears repeating right now, I think, especially if we are in the midst of politicizing everything. When we've reached the level of such extreme analogy or wish of pain and death because of an opposing political viewpoint, maybe, maybe, maybe take a step back and think about that line on manners again. They are what the laws depend on, from the physical to the laws of civility. They are what vex or soothe, corrupt or purify, exalt or debase, barbarize or refine. We do have the American version of this, by the way. It's just it isn't taught anymore. A free self-governing society more than any other kind depends upon the qualities and the virtues of its citizens, Harry Jaffa wrote. James Madison in the 55th Federalist paper writes, quote, as there is a degree of depravity in mankind which requires a certain degree of circumspection and distrust, so there are other qualities in human nature which justify a certain portion of esteem and confidence. Republican government presupposes the existence of these qualities in a higher degree, In any other, Madison concluded, Jaffa put it that in a republic, the sobriety of the citizens replaces the force of authority as the principal source of order. We can have order via self-government or we can have order via tyranny here. Those are the two choices. And to have it via self-government, I return to the notion that it requires selves worthy of governing. I guess at the end of the day, I want to say this. You can't continually keep polluting our political airwaves and brainwaves with that, just that, pollution, and expect a healthy body politic. In all our efforts to save other animals and wildlife, to protect our physical environment, maybe we could start by saving humans, and maybe we can start that by saving America, and maybe we can start that by simply being human or bringing back a few cognate words like humanity, and even more importantly, humane. We founded our country on an appeal to that very special notion. Staring in the eye of our 250th anniversary in commemoration of that, the objects in the rearview mirror do, in fact, appear much farther than they are or should be. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a really unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Why refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing really well by helping others. What they're offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Why refi is in the business of... P- helping people doing their best to dig out a debt the right way, doing the right things and paying off their debts, doing so with dignity, getting their FICO scores fixed along the way. They're in the business of helping others, and you can be, too, while making a great return on that business, on that investment. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 855 Eight seven there was a lot of posturing yesterday, and there will be there will continue to be more. A lot of people aren't satisfied with calm or repose. A lot of people are much more satisfied with turbulence. they like anxiety, they like drama, they like passion plays. But that's a bloodlust that doesn't work in a society that governs itself based on a ballot instead of the power of the bullet. Meghan McCain has an op-ed in the Daily Mail today. This isn't time for political stunts and Texans don't need two-bit washed up politicians like Beto O'Rourke hijacking their horror for his own selfish political interests. Mark my words, what Beto O'Rourke did will appear in a campaign commercial for him. I guarantee it. I guarantee you know why because he won't be in any way punished for his stunt yesterday he'll get additional votes for it it's a sign of another sick society i'm seth leapson we'll be right ben dominich ben dominich co-founder of the federalist he has some thoughts on what barack obama did yesterday he'll be right back with us don't go away Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show, powered in part by the good people at Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com is where to go to get your fruits and veggies. You take their fruits and veggies just once a day. Whole food nutrition made from fresh, whole produce. Through their advanced cold vacuum process, the vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients of the fruit and veggies are preserved so you get the vital nutrition in each capsule. What vital nutrition? The vital nutrition that comes from a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. I take it every single day. It's kept me from getting sick for three years. Boosts your energy, boosts your health, and boosts your immunity. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Uh, Steve (laughs) Steve Hayward writes, The greatest correction ever over uh, <clears throat> at the washington time, uh washington post sorry washington post he writes it's a tall statement and i didn't think a major media organization could be clown itself more than the washington post a couple days ago with this howler here it is from the washington post how have things changed in your community since george floyd's death on may 25th 2020 george floyd was shot and killed in police custody His death sparked outrage, wide-scale protests, and calls to change policing. Two years later, what has and hasn't changed? Washington Post has layers and layers of fact checkers. But to paraphrase the postmodernist philosopher Hans Gruber, I give you Time magazine. If you missed it, George Floyd wasn't shot and killed in police custody. Maybe that's one of the reasons we have to be reminded of his death. It couldn't be, though, could it? It couldn't be. Time magazine had a um, correction on Beto O'Rourke's confrontation yesterday as well. They misspelled his name from Beto to Beta. It's not really that important, to be quite honest with you. But, yeah, I mean, (laughs) the George Floyd thing, the Washington Post, my gosh. My gosh, the speed at which that's what it's about, really. It's the rapidity at which people are chasing each other and their competitors to get out there on the wokest possible headline they can summon to invoke the wokest possible imagery they can achieve. And so facts die in the process. facts are dying in the process, not just of history, they die in real time as well. We don't have to just look at, I don't know, let's say the Hunter Biden laptop. We don't have to look at that, all of which was verified and all of which every host on CNN and MSNBC said was Russian disinformation to get it through the campaign. We don't have to talk about the distortion of facts for elections exclusively we can talk about them in real time rushes to judgment and conclusions we've gone back and forth a few times in the last 72 hours on a lot of things having to do with what took place in uvalde a lot did the cops wait before going in or didn't they was there a school resources school resource officer there or wasn't there Was this child mentally disturbed or suffering from some form of mental illness or wasn't he? Did people know, didn't they? Did he have a family? Didn't he? Did he kill his grandma? Didn't he? And yet speculation ran rampant as did certainty on all these things which with the exception of maybe one or two of them are still unanswered. That alone That alone, and the death of so many children, so many young children, that alone really ought make us pause for a moment and take a beat, right? I get the need to constantly feed the beast, the technological beast, the social media beast, the cable news beast, but for what end, for what end, maybe we all need to go back and read a little... Henry David Thoreau. How did he put it in Walden? We have improved our means to an unimproved end. We have improved our means to an unimproved end. Yeah, the means of communication and news gathering have been improved. But the ends they're servicing in that technological advancement are in the sewer. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth. Um, I, I, I was thinking over the break that line I just kind of tossed off from Henry uh, Henry David Thoreau. Um, we have improved our means to an unimproved end, and isn't that in a way the discussion that's taking place with Elon Musk and his purchase of Twitter? No one, no one seems to care anymore about whether Twitter will be better or worse, whether it will be a better product or a worse product. No one—no one's talking about that, are they? They're talking about what he intends to do with it, what is the end of Twitter. And to him, the end is to expand the conversation, to allow more viewpoint diversity. And isn't it interesting that, That became a controversial end in America. Isn't it interesting that that is now the controversy, whether there should be more viewpoint diversity? Diversity is a good word for a lot of people in this country. There are diversity officers pretty much everywhere. There are diversity departments pretty much everywhere. They garner tremendous salaries. But you and I both well know it's The kind of diversity that seems to make the least amount of sense because it doesn't improve any end, does it? It doesn't improve any end. There's a little there's a little joke that we all just kind of go along with in this notion of diversity these days, isn't there? What's the joke? It's a really bad one. It's a really bad one. The joke is that ethnicity matters and will determine some form of thought. That's what's behind the notion of diversity based on ethnicity or race, if you will. That's what's behind that notion. And everyone just kind of goes along with it, don't they? Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Different ethnicities, different physical diversities, that'll make for a better environment of learning, of discussion, of thought, of outcome. How so? How so? Only if, only if, only if you're willing to admit, which is what this new level of diversity implies and can imply nothing else but the admission that race determines thought. This is why I am so damn opposed to these kinds of notions. Viewpoint diversity has nothing to do with racial diversity but a serious system or a serious environment or institution committed to diversity could actually achieve both ends if it were honest with itself couldn't it it could achieve both ends you could have all the racial diversity you want by you know creating an institution that had i don't know pick 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 your favorite liberals who happen to be African-American. I don't care who they are, whoever, whoever you want, uh, Cory Booker, uh, Don- Donna Brazil, It doesn't matter. Joy Reid, whatever. And then add, I don't know, jo- John McWhorter, Glenn Lowry, uh, Larry Elder, uh, Candace Owens. And you could have both. You could have racial diversity. And you could have viewpoint diversity. But the institutions dedicated to diversity only want one kind. They want one kind. Because they have a concept of an end. They do use the means of race to achieve an end of viewpoint unanimity. That's what they're doing. And to do so... They'll silence Larry Elder, for example, by reading him out of the category of that which they want us to focus on and think is so important in the first place, his skin color. So the L.A. Times has a headline that says Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. So to achieve their ends, I'll repeat it, I'll say it again, to achieve their ends, They deny the very thing they say they are dedicated to, which is his race, and make him another one, or an antagonist to the one he is in, himself, through no dint of his own, through no effort of his own, as no one makes a dint, or uh, no one is of a racial category by dint of their own effort. It's a really interesting thing to think about, and no one seems to want to talk about it anymore. We just go along with this bad joke increasingly, and we think it's okay that we ban an entire, that we censor an entire worldview in this country, an entire political party's worldview because it doesn't comport with the worldview of those who own the means of production right now. And God forbid someone try and take those reins like Elon Musk, then they will bring every knife out that they can to stop him. Again, from what? Giving America more intellectual and viewpoint diversity. Not America, the world. The world. We live amongst a lot of bad jokes and a lot of junk thought. And going along with it as if it's okay seems to me about the worst thing that we can be doing when it comes to constitutional norms and when it comes to expanding notions of democracy in this country. You can't expand democracy and you can't give voice to the voiceless when you are engaging in endpoint viewpoint discrimination and when you use race against people for having the wrong viewpoint. There were regimes that did this. They were powerful. For a while, they were even successful. It's just that you have to kind of count me silly for thinking that we put an end to them in 1945. I usually uh, close the show with a classical quote of one kind or another, but I've been um, bewitched, ensercelled by the tweets of one Allie Beth Stuckey of the conservative millennial. Don't know if you're familiar with her work. I think we've played some of her audio before here, haven't we, Bill? She tweeted this, and I just think it's worth repeating, maybe even closing the show with. We seem to be horribly failing the young men of this country. That's the one commonality in the vast majority of mass shootings. It's not race or ideology. They're young males We're doing absolutely everything wrong when it comes to promoting healthy masculinity, purpose, and goodness for these boys and men. If we really cared, we'd be doing everything we can to promote fatherhood, hard work, and honor. We'd be getting these boys off the Internet and into hobbies and jobs and communities where they can channel their strength. We'd be desperately pushing them toward meaning. Our denial gender differences coupled with the demonization of masculine strength doesn't help. There is nothing more dangerous than a man with nothing to do and no one to live for. There is also nothing more beneficial to a community than a man with purpose and love. It's much easier to offer meaningless political talking points than it is to reckon with the societal, spiritual rot that's eroded our foundations and connections. And most people don't see it because they are contributors to the very moral deficit our country is spending itself into. Maybe we should all ask, what are our churches, schools, organizations, and neighborhoods doing to address this problem? How are we helping fatherless, purposeless boys? Many are doing good work. We all can do more, and it's going to take a moral revolution, a radical recalibration of our values, a great awakening, a great relearning, as Thomas Wolfe put it, for anything to change. You bet it is a great relearning, a great relearning of that, as Plato put it, which we used to know. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebsen and classes dismissed.